I have named them cornerstones. Of course, I'm referring to a house foundation uh, because the Bible refers to it that. We sprung board out of Matthew chapter 7 where the Lord says you have foolish people and you got wise people. The foolish man, he'll build his house on sand. That's the person that does not want to pay attention to the four fundamentals in life. They want to ignore them. They want to ignore their existence. A lot of that stems, we're seeing it in our young men, that are suffering from what I call Peter Pan syndrome. Peter Pan syndrome is a man that refuses to grow up. He is stuck in a 12-year-old body, just like Peter Pan. That was what was wrong with him. He had a Peter Pan syndrome. He refused to become a man, and he did not want to put away childish things. And uh, you, you could, we, could, we could spend the rest of the year talking about what causes this, but ultimately it's the choice of an individual. But when we come back to the Word of God, we're reminded that the wise man, the wise person, chooses to build their house. Now, you've got your personal house. The Bible calls you. What you're, you're looking, you've you, you got two eyes. You're looking at me right now. You've you got a house there. And, uh, and so then you got the house of God, and, and then you got your home, a marriage. And, and, and so the wise man builds that on the rock. And we understand, I mean, all of us would be on the same page if we was to watch uh, uh, Bear Grylls or any of these other survival shows, that there are four things you will need to survive in, in uh, uh, the wild. You've got to have water. That's the first priority. You've got to have drinking water. You're not going to do anything past 72 hours if you do not have water to drink. So that means you're going to have to have water. We liken that to the chief cornerstone. Again, I'm laying the foundation to a house. And in my mind, because I'm simple, a house has four corners. Now, in today's building, you can have multiple corners. But basically, you're going to have four major corners in a house. And, and so that first uh, corner, when you go to build a house, you're going to pick a corner. And you're going to, everything's going to be based off of that corner. Uh, every measurement, how to keep the house square, is going to be based off of the chief corner. And that's the Lord Jesus Christ, the chief cornerstone. Nothing in your life is going to work until the Lord Jesus Christ is your chief cornerstone. That means you're going to have to have a relationship with him. You're going to have to be born again. And then he's going to have to be your Lord. That sets your geographical location. That's your identity. I'm a Christian. I'm a child of God. But then it sets your direction that you're going to go in life. It's the straight and narrow way. That's going to set your doctrinal direction for life. This is going to help orient you to the second great cornerstone in life, which is shelter. So if you're in a survival situation, you need water. Number two, you're going to need shelter uh, from the elements, whether it's hot or whether it's cold or whether it's raining. You do not want hyperthermia. Uh, you do not want to succumb to the elements when you get into wind chills and getting wet. So you need shelter. And we liken that shelter to the home. And we preached on the home and how the home is to be built on the Lord Jesus Christ and how the home is to be set up and what marriage was designed for. Uh, you cannot ignore that. 
But then today you're going to need food. This is the third corner in your house, the third cornerstone, your rounding third headed for home. It's the church. And I told you last week, you hang with me because today we've seen that the adversary, the devil, has done his work well in destroying families in America. And one of the points that I will make when I get into putting fragmented families together is you got to be aware that there is an adversary you're facing that hates anything God has made and anything God has created or instituted. So the devil's going to hate family the way God designed it. The devil's going to hate church the way God designed it. He's going to hate it and he's going to work to destroy it. And you are a fool to think that you are in control of, of yourself and that there is no adversary, that you're totally in control. Uh, if I was to tell you that someone had put a hit out on you, seriously, they, they had paid money and they're going to have you taken out, you would take steps to try to prevent that you would begin to sober up and say, well, maybe I better not go the same way twice uh, home. And maybe I ought to pick different routes because one of the way when you begin to pattern people, not that I know, but I'm, I'm referring to animals <laughs> when you hunt, is you find their pattern and then you set up on them. And you can intercept them. Uh, we were in the grocery store yesterday and Jen and I got separated because she went back to get lettuce. And I wasn't walking all the way back across that store. And so I made like I went one way. And so I went another way. I went to what I call a choke point. You said, well, what's that? I knew she had to come that way no matter where she goes in that store. She was coming to the meat section in Food City. That's called a choke point. I can see every end of aisle. If she was, whatever aisle she's in, she's got to come out. I will see her. She's going to come past where I'm going. I ain't walking to her. She's going to walk to me. I'm fat and I'm old. And so I believe in working smarter, not harder. And so she's texting me. She's trying to figure out where I'm at. And all of a sudden I appear. Uh, she walked up on me is what happened. I had been there. And she's like, well, where, where was you? I said, I'm not chasing you through the store like a little puppy dog. <laughs> I come over here. I knew you had to come this way. And so my point is, if you knew you had a hit out on you, you would take steps to prevent that. I got news for you. The devil's got a hit out on you. And you need to take steps to prevent that. And so we will get to that. But... He's doing his work well, isn't he? He's destroying families, and he is destroying churches. I'm not just picking on families. Now, let me get back to the point I was making. In today's age, families have been destroyed. Maybe you're an individual that's sitting here that you do not know how a proper family should function. You don't understand the proper order or the structure. You don't understand the love that's to be exhibited. And you say, what do I do now? I got saved. You want to know? God's made a provision for that. It's called church. 
Church is not a place to meet uh, where you get entertained. We can have entertainment, but that's not its primary function. The church's primary function is to be a birthing center uh, for new converts, but then it is to be a training center. It is to help the individual. I don't care where you're at, what culture you're living. You could be in the jungles uh, of this of this uh, great world that we live in, never known anything about the word of God or civilization get born again and there's a church there and the missionary starts churches and you can learn how to put your family together and live right now that's what church is supposed to be about now we've turned them things into amusement parks today we've turned our churches into fun centers because we got too many people suffering with Peter Pan syndrome they don't want to deal with reality in life. And when I, mean, when I say reality, I mean responsibility. There's the big one. Responsibility. Now, church. Let's talk about church. But let's talk about real church. And let the word of God show us how that we are to reorient. This is food. And the four elements of survival. But what I've learned, which I've known this for a while, uh, is the church doubles for food and shelter just in case you lost your second cornerstone. Family has been destroyed. And, 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 and so God has made a provision because he knew that people had lived some life that the devil has done his work well, and you'll find that the devil, when he's done with you, he'll throw you in the ash heap of life. You'll be a burnt stone uh, that this world will think is unfit for anything. God will take the burnt stone, take it, and, and, and retemper it, and remake it, and put you right back into the wall. And so let's get to this element that's called... Uh, Food and shelter, church, Ephesians chapter 2. And we have him here uh, in verse 19. And this is the great passage of Scripture where the Lord begins to teach us Gentiles that he has broken down the middle wall of partition. We do not have to become proselyte Jews to enjoy this thing we call salvation. That the death of Christ abolished and broke that middle wall partition that was hindering us. Were you in the Old Testament? If you wanted in on the promises of God, you would have had to become a proselyte Jew. Uh, but today we do not have to do that. And so that's what he's been talking about. And look what he says here in verse 19. Now therefore ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household. There he goes with this house. The house of God. The household of God. And are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom all the building fitly framed together groweth unto a holy temple in the Lord. He's talking about saved people that's gotten born again, in whom ye also are builded together for an habitation of God, through the Spirit, let us pray. 
Our gracious Father, we come. We thank you now. Lord, help us today as we look into the Word of God to understand this beautiful picture of the church. In Jesus Christ's name, amen. Now take your Bible to Ephesians 5. Ephesians 5 is a very uh, no, well-known text, but most people do not like Ephesians 5, or most ladies don't. They're familiar with it because it has a bad word there called submission, and they don't like that. And the Bible said there in Genesis 3 that uh, there would begin to be a problem between the man and the wife uh, with in regards to submission and, and desire. And they, they just don't not going to like it. And who does? I don't like it uh, myself. And uh, as we get... Uh, down in this, I believe there will be three messages on the church. I just could not get it all in in one. Uh, I, I don't want to go too fast here. And I want to take my time and break the importance of this teaching down uh, and, and, and give it to you because this is going to help you in your homes. Because this passage of scripture does double duty. Number one, it's going to teach us how our churches should operate. But number two, it's going to teach us how our marriages and our homes should operate. And he's going to put the two together. But he, then he says, this is a great mystery. There in about verse 30 in chapter 5, he says, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. And so we're going to gather it, and, and we're going to start here in verse 1. But I want to give you a couple of, of, of other scriptures before I get into the point this morning. I'm just going to give you one main point. And the main point in the house of God, in church, and in your home, uh, is that your attention needs to be right. You need to have the right attention in the home. But before we get to that... I want to give you a verse of scripture about when you become foolish and you say, I, I don't care about the Lord Jesus Christ and him being the chief cornerstone. I don't care about a strong marriage. Uh, I don't really care about nobody but myself, you know. Uh, that's Peter Pan syndrome again. You've got a problem. You have a problem. Nobody else does. And I get this. Men come to, well, my wife, my wife. And let me tell you something, mister. You're not managing your affairs correctly. Because God says you're the manager of that thing. And then we see, if you want to throw out church, and that's being thrown out today, people don't think church is important. Church is important. Very important. It was very important this morning to see little Harper sing. That was important. It's a very important part of our service because we're working with her just like you would in the family and teaching her proper activity in the house of God and what is expected of her uh, and, and, and that she comes to give, not just comes to take, but comes to give. And we work with all the children. And I will say this, when your children come and we have the youth choir, I will work with your children. They will be engaged. Your children are not going to be allowed to sit play on their smartphone while we're having youth choir. I'd prefer they not bring their phones to church. I mean, you can at least last one hour without a phone. Um, by the way, what in the world did you do back in your day? 
we could live an hour or two without a smartphone. And they're going to be engaged and they're going to be challenged and they're going to be confronted and they want to be worked with. They need to be worked with. And the problem is many times they're not worked with. You know what happens? They're just entertained. And entertainment, it has its place, but it doesn't teach anything. And we're to be about training. The Bible says this about the person that is a transgressor. And I've, I was sharing this with the young men. I'm sharing it with the young ladies. And you, ladies, even older, say, I'm having trouble. Well, your, your husband or your man you're looking for, he needs to be able to provide food. Not just for him, but for the family. Shelter. That's not a tent. That's housing. Clothing. Not just for you or him, but everybody. And transportation. That's the four fundamentals in life. I didn't make it up. Uh, smarter men than I, like Dave Ramsey and these other men, they're like, you've got to have those four things. And so when you say, well, I just don't care. I'm just going to let love find my way. Love, just follow my heart. Your heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked who can know it. And the Bible says this, when you choose to ignore the four fundamental principles of life and you throw caution to the, the wind because you're in love. I'm, in, I'm just so in love. Well, it's hard to feed on love. It doesn't feed you. And the kind of love that the Bible talks about is a complete different love than you're talking about. The Bible says this in Proverbs 13, 15, the way of the transgressors is hard. You having a hard life? People put themselves through a whole lot more than God ever intended for them to go through. And it's because they will ignore these four fundamental things in life. Kind of like the three little pigs, you know? Yeah. One little pig builds that house all on straw. Another little pig builds the house on sticks. The third one took the time and the effort and the energy to build a house of brick. He said, well, that's just a simple little... The person that wrote it was trying to teach something in a childish way to try to get you to pay attention that you don't want to build your house out of straw. Because the wolf, we've all know that. The wolf is at the door. Yeah, when he comes, and they'll blow the house down, and so on and so forth. Well, the way of the transgressor is hard. Oh, God put this on me. God didn't, God's nowhere in that situation. You did that to yourself. And so you got to pay attention. To the principles that the Bible is laid out. And the Bible says this, and we're going to get into it. You need to have a sound mind. That's soberness. we got a problem with that in today's culture. Nobody wants to be sober. That means in tune with reality. And so here's what happens when you decide to refuse. And you can. You can make that choice. And it probably will go easy for you. Until the seasons of life change. You can live in a tent during the summertime. <laughs> until winter hits. And then it gets cold. And you're like, 
I'm cold. Yeah, you should have thought about that beforehand. You can't plant a garden in December. Nothing's going to grow. And so people come in, so I'm going to try this, you know, this God thing, and then it don't work. What season were you in? Were you giving it your all? Most people approach God, well, you show me and I'll believe. That's not how God works. God says, no, you believe and obey, and then I'll show you. And so what happens when you refuse to do it God's way? The Lord says you will not enter into the rest that he has for you. Take your Bible to Hebrews chapter, uh, I want to say Hebrews 4. Hebrews chapter 4, and then we'll get to Ephesians 5. Verse 1, let us therefore fear. Yeah, that, that's not a bad thing to have the little fear of God in you. Lest a promise, God's given us many, being lest left us of entering into his rest. Any of you should seem to come short of it. You can come short of the promise and rest that God has for you. How's that happen, preacher? For unto us was the gospel preached as well as unto them, but the word preached did not profit them. He's talking about the Jews in the wilderness, not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. For we which have believed do enter into rest, as he said, as I have sworn in my wrath, if they shall enter into my rest, although the works were finished from the foundation of the world. Many of them did not enter into the land of Canaan, the land of rest. You want to know why? They refused to believe God. They refused to do what God said. Simple obedience. He also implies when you forsake the assembling of yourselves together, you're denying the third cornerstone, the third important element of life. The third wall of life. That you're going to have problems. And so there's rest for you. There's mental rest there for you if you'll just obey God. Now let's come to Ephesians 5 and let's get into what we got here on the importance of shelter. Some things I'd like to give you is God knew that some of you would get saved and would not have shelter or a home. It was destroyed by the adversary. So some would need to learn the importance of shelter Someone need to learn how to build shelter. That's your home. So the church is here to teach you proper structure. That's leadership. Proper, uh, it should teach you discipleship. Teaching that each member pulls their own weight. If you have children, they need to learn how to pull their weight in the home. You say, that's so cruel. I remember my grandpa like that. No, that's not cruel. It's soberness. Every child needs to have a sense of worth and a sense of responsibility. You warp them for life if all they get to do is sit around and play video games all day. They got to learn how to transition into reality, into life. You say, well, I want my kids to enjoy their childhood. I didn't get to enjoy my childhood. Okay, you've got daddy issues that need to be dealt with, not your child. But you're creating issues in your children. And so the church is to teach you about commitment, faithfulness, 
Hang in there. Stay together. The Christian life involves more than just believing. It includes belonging. Membership. So what does church do? I believe in the last 40 years, one-third of the Great Commission has been left out of our churches. We've overemphasized the things that we like, which is mass evangelism. And evangelism is not wrong. Leading people to Christ is not wrong. But it is one-third of the commandment that God gave us to do when he says, Go ye therefore in all the world and preach the gospel. Amen. we got to preach the gospel. But then he says, You baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. That begins to uh, orient them, to give them the direction now, the new direction. But then he says, And to teach them. There's the third that's been left out. To observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. We've left that last part out. It's left out in many homes in America. And it's created a crisis in our country. No teaching, no training. We have turned churches into entertainment-focused amusement parks. And the results, they've been devastating. So a church and a home, how do we... How do we get it right? Number one, it's going to have to have the right attention. Look with me in verse 1, Ephesians 5. Be ye, therefore, followers of God as dear children. Do you see that? That attention has to be right. Let me give you a hint, mothers and fathers. You will never teach your child anything until you have their attention. No human anywhere will ever learn anything until you have their attention. If you do not have the right attention, you will not teach them anything. If you do not have the right attention in your home, moms and dads, husbands and wives, the attention, both of you should be following God. That's why Jesus Christ is the chief cornerstone. You got to have a daily walk with Christ individually. Here's why. As a husband, you got a part to play. As a wife, you have a part to play. And if you're not following God, you're going to get off the straight and narrow path and begin to exhibit problems in your life, in your marriage. One thing I know for a fact when couples have problems is one of the two parties, if not both of the parties, are not daily walking with Christ in their Bible reading and prayer. It's awful hard for me to treat my wife mean if I've spent an hour in prayer with the Lord. It's just hard because that's not one of the characteristics of the Lord. And when you spend time with the Lord, He's going to rub off on you. But if you've been spending time with the devil, the devil's going to rub off on you. And you're going to begin to mistreat other people and begin to lie to other people just like the devil does. So the attention has to be right. Our attention in church needs to be right. Christ has the preeminence here in this church. And whatever we do, Christ must be put first. In our music, 
in our plays, in our youth choir, in our preaching, in our family fellowships, whatever we do in our outreaches, Christ must have the preeminence because we must follow Christ. The attention has to be right. One of the things I taught my children when they were little, we went into a grocery store. I, I didn't have to worry too much about my children running off from me. Is because I worked with them and I worked with them in the home. You stay within eyeshot of me. You're going to pay attention to me. And I taught them that in the home. I, I can tell when someone's been working with their children whether they're paying attention to their child more than the child is paying attention to them. That's a problem. You've got the order wrong. Uh, you got the attention wrong. The child's attention should be on the parent. Just like the Christian's attention should be on God. And so when they went to Kmart or they went to Walmart, they kept us in eyesight. If they seen me move out of the aisle, they knew they had to follow and stay in our eyesight. And I watched them and I watched over them. And any time that they strayed or they stopped paying attention, I was on them because I was there to protect them because that's how children get taken that's how people take advantage that's how predators they wait for opportunities like that a lot of these children that go missing the first thing I want to do and it's a good thing I'm not a detective is I'm going to drill the parents how'd that happen how'd that happen why is there a 10 year old running the streets of a city at night <laughs> that's, that's, that's totally wrong Totally wrong. The attention is wrong. So in our churches, the attention should be on Christ. Christ has the preeminence. But there we see a semicolon. That means he's going to explain or expound upon what he just said. So how do we know objectively, not because the preacher says so, not because I feel like it might be this way, but how has God told us to prove because we're to try the spirits that we have our attention right in the house of God and in our homes look at verse 2 and walk in love amen now he didn't say walk in lust it's not what he said. He said walk in love. And he's going to explain the kind of love he's talking about as Christ. So he orients you to what type of love. There's three types of love in the Bible. No, I'm not giving you the Greek. There's enemy love. If you have an enemy, you are obligated, if he comes to you hungry and thirsty, to give him food and give him the drink. That's enemy level. Most husbands and wife don't even operate on that level. Honey, while you're up, could you get me some water? No, get it yourself. Honey, while you're up getting you something and you're fixing yourself a sandwich, could you fix me one? No, get it yourself. Your legs ain't painted on. That's a problem. Your attention ain't right. And I can prove it ain't right because you're not walking in love, God's love. The second level of love is family love. You ever see families operate? They can squabble and fight. And I've told you this before. My brothers and sisters, because I was cool in my 73 Gremlin, I'd take them to school. I didn't want them to touch nothing in my cool car. 
Don't touch anything. Don't touch the doors. Don't touch the big speakers that I've got wired up in the back. And I'm playing cassette tapes that are recorded off of a radio in the house. Can't do that no more. <laughs> Don't touch it. And we fight and squabble and smack each other around. But, buddy, we get to school and someone picks on one of my brothers and sisters and it's on. Say, what is that? Two minutes ago, you hated your brother. Not now. It's family. It's family love. I don't care what. We'll take care of our differences later. But right now, someone's got on, jumped on my brother. Right now, someone's jumped on my sister. And I'm not going to stand for it. I'm going to stand with my brother. I'm going to stand with my sister because that's called family love. Family level. But then there's a whole other level called God's love. Christ-like love. That's unconditional love. And he's going to explain what this kind of love is and how the church is to uh, walk in this, how the church, this is what it's to be about. He says, as Christ hath loved us and hath given himself. So this is a giving love. This is not a taking love. This is a giving love. Christ gave of himself, but God commended himself uh, together and that while we were yet sinners... Christ died for us. I misquoted that verse. You know where I'm at. Romans 5, 8, part of the Romans road. God's telling you what his love means. Christ-like love. For God so loved the world that he gave. You cannot get around when you're dealing with Christ-like love. That's the love that should be in our church. A giving love. And everybody should have something to give. This is Christ-like love. And in your homes, you're not focusing on yourself. You're going to give of yourself to your spouse. You're living for them. Just like in the house of God, we're living for God. He's teaching you two principles. This is why this cornerstone is food and shelter. It's going to feed you, but it's also shelter, and it's also to help you, teach you to get the home's foundation right. And this is how it's to be done. You're supposed to follow God. Walk in love, Christ-like love, a giving love, and an offering of sacrifice to God. That's a sacrificial love. There was a time in my life, I loved to fish. And when I had children, because most young men in their 20s and 30s are selfish creatures, uh, it's just part of nature. And uh, I'll show that to you in this chapter when we get to the second message. Because God lays it on the men. After he takes the time to lay this down about love, he jumps back on the men to give them dose number two. Because most times, most men, because of their stubbornness, I remember being that way one time with strep throat. And I let it go so long that I didn't get one shot. Because I was a man, number two, because I was stubborn, I got two shots. So God's going to give you two shots, and he's going to put it back on the man. But I remember in those years, and I take my fishing seriously. That's why Will's not allowed on the boat. He don't like to fish. 
not allowed on the boat. You don't like the fish, you don't get on the boat. Get off. <laughs> get off. Now. <laughs> Out. <laughs> but we're in the middle of the lake. I don't really care. <laughs> I'm kidding, of course. But he's not allowed on the boat. I'm not kidding about that. You don't like to fish. Took me one time to figure that out. Three minutes and he's done. All right, you're out. You're out. I'll go by myself. Men are selfish. And I enjoy that time of fishing. I didn't want to transition from the memory, childhood memories of that first time fishing adventure and fishing in my teens and then getting married. But I found... Because I didn't act on my emotion, I wanted to go by myself, I began to take my children. So I took Sass. And Sass took to it real well. I got some worms and a little fishing pole. And I found out I started enjoying watching her catch fish more than I enjoyed catching fish. It had nothing to do with because she could catch more fish and bigger fish. She'll tell you all about that later. She always seems to lose those big ones when I'm around. But I found something that I experienced that I didn't realize that I would. When I began to include them, yes, I wasn't taking the time to fish, but now my enjoyment was in watching her enjoy and catch the fish. And that's called transitioning. That's putting away the childish things. Not that fishing is wrong. But when you have children, you, oh, I just want to enjoy this all myself. They're selfish. There's no room for that in the home. There's no room for that in the church. Selfish love. You've got to transition. And it's got to be sacrificing love. And that was the point I was making. I began to sacrifice the time that I highly valued to invest in my children to spend that time with them and watch them enjoy those moments. But let's move on. So we need to make sure that we got the right attention. This sets our direction. We're following Christ. This sets the vision. The vision should be Christ. This lines up with the rest of the Bible where he said set your affection on things above. Focus is on Christ. Even in the home. But then we're going to walk in love. It's a Christ-like love. It's a giving love. It's a sacrificing love. And this love has been commanded by the Lord. This is how our church is to operate. The Lord said this in John 13, 34. A new commandment I give unto you. That you love one another as I have loved you, giving, sacrificing. That you also love one another. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples if you have love one to another. I think there's a lot of churches that are a laughing stock of this world because they will not operate in this kind of love. And they're not helping anybody. All they're doing, they're creating an entertainment addict. And they're harming that individual while they're making merchandise of them. Snake and oil salesmen. Our churches are to operate with a Christ 
like love. That's what brings us together. That's what brings unity. If you was to look at 2 John about verses 1 and 2, uh, John says that he loves uh, this individual. Let me read it. I'm not going to be able to quote it. And it's okay, and I'll, I'll hurry along. I'm glad I chose not to preach all this in one message. The elder under the elect lady and her children, whom I love in the truth. Do you see that? You will not have love in your home unless both of you are in the truth. You'll have some problems. You'll have issues. Our churches, that's why I stand guard against, uh, uh, we do not practice pluralism around here. We don't have unity through diversity, you know, pluralism. No, what unites us is the truth of this book. We're to walk in love and that love is in the truth because God has the preeminence. That's why Jesus was clear to say, I am the way, the truth, and the life. If someone wants to walk another way, they can start a different church. I don't really care. But here, our focus and our love is for God. The attention has to be right. Teaching, thus that our homes are to operate with a Christ-like love. If you're not operating in your home in a Christ-like love, you're hurting yourself. You're putting yourself through things that God did not intend for you to go through. Now, verse 5, back into Ephesians. Verse 3, actually. Now he's going to tell you, one, he'd, he'd give you the first descriptor on how to tell if you're actually following Christ and your attention is right. Number one, you're walking in love. And then he's going to tell you what it's not. See how clear God is? He's really clear. Here's what it's not. You see verse 3? And it starts with but. That's contrast. God teaches us by association. God teaches us by repetition. And God teaches us by contrast. But. So he's going to explain to you what God's love is not. Fornication. And all uncleanness. Or covetousness, most of these things are lust-driven. Covetousness is lust. That's, that's the emotion you're experiencing, that burning lust, lust of the eye. You're falling prey to the devil. He attacks you using one of three methods. The lust of the eye. Oh, I just got to have that. I see something, I got to have it. Covetousness. It works off of that thing in you called lust. I can't get through a commercial on food without getting hungry. Why? Oh, there's something psychological to that. They know every human being in his fallen nature has a lust issue. We call it cravings, you know, craving. Craving. Yeah. It's called lust. <laughs> oh, and I'm hungry. I can't watch a good old western and all of a sudden they got a half a cow laying there on a spit and then you got pork and beans. And <laughs> yeah, I need pot roast. <laughs> what is that? 
Well, it's covetousness is what it is, but we don't preach on that much, you know, because then i got to preach on me. All right, let it all not be once named among you as becometh saints, neither filthiness nor foolish jesting. I spent a little time meditating on it. What is that? You mean we can't have a sense of humor in that church of God? No, that's not what he's talking about. He's in the context of these sins. Remember Three's Company back in the day? Started in about 1976, and that one dude, he pretended to be something that he wasn't. He was, yeah, a closet heterosexual, that we'll, we'll call it like that. Remember? And they made fun of it. And they, they, they was just a big hee-hee, ha-ha, you know, one man living with two ladies. And we laughed at it. That's called a foolish jest. Here's why. If, you've la if you'll laugh about something... You've already accepted it. That's why. That's why. You've been being programmed since, well, before 1976. But you've been programmed to think that that's normal. I mean, after all, they were called roommates, weren't they? I mean, high rent. I mean, roommate. Platonic. No such thing. Not in the real world. Not even to this sheltered preacher's kid don't throw that at me no such thing but then we poke fun at it we got little tv shows making fun you know it's all it's all okay it's not okay that's what he's talking about when he's talking about foolish jesting it's not talking about good old-fashioned sense of humor having fun nor jesting which are not convenient but rather giving of thanks for this you know that no whoremonger nor unclean person nor cover he's explaining to you what the love of God is not. Let's come on down. I know I got to hurry. Verse 6. Let no man deceive you with vain words. What's that? Oh, that's somebody trying to tell you that it's okay, honey. You go ahead and live that way if you want to. That's your truth. And you come worship with us. And we'll entertain you. By the way, put a little money on the plate. No. He said, don't let somebody deceive you into thinking that pluralism or this alternate lifestyle is the love of God. Do, do you see that? Or am I making that point clear? God's not talking about the love of God as being pluralism. That's not what he's talking about. That's not God's love. That might be the world's definition of it, but that's not God's definition of it. It's real descriptive. Now there's another thing, there's another, there's another test you can give yourself to say, is my attention right in church and is my attention right in my home? One, I'm walking in love. And he tells you what it's not. Then he says, walk, verse 8, as children of light. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, if you're saved and been born again... You need to walk in the light as he is in the light. And repentance. Man is born with his back turned towards God. When a man repents, he turns to face God. That's repentance. And now dwells in the light. Some of you are not getting it. Go to 1 John. 1 John 1, verse 6. 
If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, that's what he's talking about over here in, in Ephesians. Walk in the light or walk as children of light. This is how you know if your attention is right. You need to stay in eyeshot of God. Eyesight, earshot. I'm thinking earshot, saying eyesight. You know what I mean. You know. Here's how we do it. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. When somebody wants to isolate, I already know they're not walking in the light. It's the first sign of a mental problem, isolation. Yeah, it's not normal. I know that's how you feel that you need to handle that, but that's not how you handle that. Your emotions, do you understand that every emotional response that you have is a chemical that's been re released in your brain? And sometimes, because your eyes and your feelings, your brain releases the wrong chemical and you experience the wrong emotion, and if you always let your emotions or your conscience, your heart be your guide, when you begin to have depression, anxiety, you're going to have this strong emotion to isolate. Run off somewhere in a dark corner. It's the worst thing you can do. You've got to train yourself not to do that even though you feel like doing that. I, I, I had one of those episodes, not depression, there was something that I knew I needed to do last week I did not want to do. My emotion told me, don't do that. But the principle I knew was right to go do, and I went and done it. That's what I'm talking about. How can that happen by walking in the light when you won't fellowship with your brothers and sisters in Christ? See how this is working as family? Fellowship? When you don't want to do that, there's a problem with you. The one that wants to isolate. That's the problem. And your attention is wrong. Our churches, our attention is wrong. Now, John chapter 3, if you go back to John 3, and I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to quickly wind this up. John 3. John 3. I'll get there in a second. Verse 19, and this is the condemnation that light is coming to the world and men loved darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. That's why you like the dark corner. There's evilness lurking in there. For everyone that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. That's why you want to isolate. You don't want to be reproved. I don't want to hear it. That's the wrong love. It's the wrong attention. This is how you, you don't have to listen to me. Listen to the word of God. It's the discerner. It will discern you. Am I, is my attention right in the house of God? Is my attention right in my marriage? Am I walking in Christ-like love? Or I'm goofed up? In the works of the flesh, doing what I want to do. Am I walking in the light? Do I want to have fellowship with my brothers and sisters? Do I want to have fellowship with my wife? Some people don't want to fellowship with one another. 
I don't understand that. Jen and I, she's my best friend. I'm going to spend all my time talking and laughing and cutting up with her. Why? We're both following Jesus. Our attention is on Christ. And we're sharing that together. And we're going to walk in love. And we're going to walk in the light. But then there's one more. Walk circumspectfully. See, what's that mean? Well, imagine yourself in a cow pasture. Maybe in a barnyard. You ever been in one? You kind of looked down and paid attention where you set your feet, didn't you? That's called working, walking circumspectfully. Pay attention to where you're putting your next step down. That's, that's what that means. So you've got three tests. One, am I walking in love? You can test yourself. Is Am I sacrificing and giving to my spouse? Am I sacrificing and giving of my time and resources to the house of God to support the ministry? Am I walking in the light? Well, how do I know if I'm not? You don't want to talk to your wife. You don't want to talk to anybody else. You don't want to fellowship. You don't want to come to church. You don't want to fellowship with brothers and sisters in Christ. You know, it's not the whole world that's wrong and you're the only person right. Are you walking in light? And are you walking circumspectly? Or are you just saying, you know, I just really don't care. I'll just step in it. I don't care no more. I don't care. Well, your attention is wrong. Your attention is wrong. Careful where you step, where you go, where you stop. Be careful how you spend your time. And you need to be careful to understand God's will. Watch this, verse 16. Redeeming the time because the days are evil. So careful how you spend your time. Well, all I want to do is play video games. That's Peter Pan syndrome. There's a problem with that. It's not normal. It's not that I hate games. I like games. I, I love electronics. Not good with them. <laughs> but it's not going to take from my study time. I, I don't even have a game system. I got a phone. I like to play chess. But it has to have the right priority. That's why he said be careful how you spend that time. You, you got four fundamental elements to pay attention to first. The four walls of life. And then... Wherefore, be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. You need to understand what God's will is for your life. One is to be in his presence. And two, your attention should be on him. You'll never get the will of God for your life until one, you're in God's presence and your attention is on God. Our churches and our homes would do better if they had the right attention. It's real simple. Now next week's message is going to be on the right attitude in the house of God. But also the home. 
What should our attitude be towards one another? What should my attitude be towards you and your attitude be towards me? God tells us this. It should never be up for debate. But because we want to float the foundation of the church and set the church on sinking stand instead of on the rock, you understand, the Lord said, I will build my church. That means God's the builder and he's got the blueprint. You know, I have known builders to throw blueprints out. That never ends well. We're not as smart as God. Not even close. It's best just to do it God's way. So I don't do anything unless I can fully understand it. Then you're going to be a miserable, foolish individual. Because there's going to be a lot of things that God says. Faith is going to believe and obey. And then somewhere down the road, you'll understand. Do it God's way. Enter into God's rest. Even though your heart tells you different, remember, it's deceitful. Follow Christ. Make sure your attention is on the Lord. Let's all stand this morning.